0: This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast.
1: Hamilton Ward 7 Councillor Donna Skelly is going to ask Hamilton City Council to approve a motion to investigate why the cost of improvements to a city housing seniors resident uh, residence has tripled. Originally uh, repaired to a parking lot at Mohawk Gardens, a city housing seniors facility was approved in 2015 at 350 grand. It has uh, already ballooned to $1.1 million dollars. To talk more about all of this, City Councillor for Ward 7, Donna Skelly, she is with us now. Hello Donna, how are you today?
2: I'm great, how are you?
1: I'm doing John? very well, thanks for taking you the time to like join us. You
2: you're a little outraged about high <sighs> rising costs for hydro.
1: Oh gee whiz, have you heard that story before <laughs> Donna?
2: Do you want to know, of all the issues that people talk about, it is the number one issue. People are, you know, people are just tapped out. They're tapped out. They can't pay their bills. They're tired of it. And these are people who normally don't get involved and follow the news closely and don't protest, but they're just. Angry, so kudos to you for. And, and you know what, comment.
1: Donna? Donna, I understand that the there's now contract signed, and there's only so much you can do, and blah blah blah. But you know, standing up and crying and admitting a mistake ain't a solution. Like yeah. obviously, the solution, the system's broken, so she has to fix it. And at the very least, don't you think she should do some sort of report for the other provinces and the feds, just to say, here's what we did wrong.
2: Well, I agree with you there, but it also goes back to Dalton McGinty. He's the um, boy. We're off topic already, but yep. he is the, uh, the the person who implemented the Green Energy Act, and it was based on overpaying for power. Uh, and if you, wh- what I'm afraid of is that we're going to find out that the wind t- turbines, for example, we're talking about solar and wind, and the wind turbines are starting to be more of um, a danger to the uh, environment than people suspected. The depth that they have to go to anchor these massive turbines are shattering water tables and impacting vegetation growth around the turbines. We're seeing bats that are being killed. Um, so a lot of these green energy projects that we have overpaid, and I mean overpaid, entered into these ridiculous uh, contracts, are not only too costly, but they're actually I think, harmful in some ways to the environment. So that's, that's another discussion for another day, but I think that there's a, a lot more to this story than we understand.
1: And, the, you know, at the end result of all of this, Donna, she's going to make people extremely skeptical about green energy, which is exactly the opposite of what her motives were. I mean, people are now looking at this and going, it's all a sham.
2: Exactly, and, and, and they're conserving their energy, but it's costing us in the long run yeah. because we have entered into these contracts and still have to abide by these contracts energy consumption by people being doing what is right has gone down but because it's gone down we have to pay more to make up for the shortfall so it's been a a very poorly thought out ill conceived idea i'd love to know who actually made money in these contracts and i think if you look at the players who have made millions and millions and millions of dollars you might recognize some names i think that's another issue that we haven't really delved into but uh... I'm sure a lot of people made a lot of money on this act.
1: All right, let's get back to uh, (laughs) the city housing seniors residents. First of all, how did you stumble on this, and uh, what is the explanation for tripling the price?
2: Well, uh, we don't know just yet. What has happened is I was elected in the spring, and this was actually approved back in the fall of 2015 under the previous councillor. All was done above board. $800,000 $800,000 was earmarked for projects within Ward 7. The problem is three hundred and fifty was earmarked specifically to improve a parking lot at Mohawk Gardens, which is a senior's residence. And afterwards, the Councillor left, ran for another uh, level of government, was successful. The seat was vacant. I came on board in the spring, was told that there was some project taking place in... I had Mohawk Gardens, tried to track down information, and it was somewhat vague. Now, you have to understand that Hamilton Housing is a separate agency, although the city of Hamilton oversees it, in a sense, and we supply money. We are, it, is an, it is at uh, arm's length. So I started tracking down as much information as I could, and the latest thing that came on my desk in November was the new estimate. Now the original estimate to add additional visitors well, some visitors' parking spaces, uh, additional tenant spaces and modifying the entrance was all in 350,000. The new estimate came in at 1.1 million, not including the 100 and almost 15,000 dollars spent on consulting fees.
1: Hmm. So uh, what happens now? How does this move forward?
2: Well, today at uh, Council, it begins at 5 o'clock, I'll be putting forward a motion asking our city auditor to look at this. I've already spoken with him. I've already spoken to the chair of Hamilton Housing, our board. And I've spoken to the head of Hamilton Housing asking for answers to how these costs escalated, why this money was spent. Uh, We don't really have the answers. Most people are on board, and I think Council will probably be on board, having the auditor look at this. But my big concern not only is the fact that the price has escalated, but we have spent $115,000 on consulting fees on a parking lot, Scott. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and this is this is an agency, Hamilton Housing. It says it's strapped for cash; they cannot repair the buildings that they have. People are on this waiting list for years. And we blow one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars on consulting fees on a parking lot. I'm, I I don't know if any of the, um, the people who were paid through these this consultant, if any of the work was was tendered out. Don't know. I've asked. We don't know yet. I'm hoping that the auditor can figure that out because city housing does have to follow procurement policy. I know that at one point fifty four thousand was paid to an engineering consulting company on work done on this. On this parking lot, and you have to remember, no construction has begun yet.
1: Yeah. So does anybody so, offer? Does anybody offer an opinion? Like, where does the buck stop? I mean,
2: how well, do people how do people stopped. explain Believe this? Me. The buck has stopped. We're not spending another dime. Uh, I, there is no explanation. There was I don't know how these checks were issued. Who was approving it? Why or if we tendered anything out. Most of, if not all, of the people who've been paid so far are not Hamilton companies, which is another issue that I want to address. Uh, I mean, as the city of Hamilton, I think we really should be looking within our own city to see if people have the qualifications to cover these, these or, or fill in these projects. But um, I, I, the, the buck has stopped. The project still has to go on at one point. It's too cold now, so there won't be any construction this year. These people are anxiously awaiting some form of some, some visitors' parking, and they deserve it. These are elderly people, and they have no visitors' parking. The project was a viable project, but the costs have just soared. Why? I don't know, and hopefully our auditor will be able to figure that one out.
1: Uh, is it a rule of thumb that these projects are usually tendered out?
2: Yes. Anything over $10,000 should be tendered out.
1: And there's and, no, and there's no evidence of that at this point?
2: None, none that I can find.
1: Uh, how do you explain the fact that you can't or having difficulty getting information on that? I mean, the issue is one thing. Uh, your thoughts on the fact that, you, you know, we you can't, you can't seem to be very getting any concerned.
2: answers. I'm very concerned and very worried. Again, one of the reasons why we brought in the auditor and I have asked counsel to approve him looking into this. Now, I recognize the fact that there was um, a vacancy after Councillor Duvall left and and the election in the spring and when I came in. So there was a, you know, there was that period where there was nobody in office. But this was already being run by Hamilton Housing. So they have to figure out what happened and why we didn't, uh, you know, how this this escalated to the point it is today. And hopefully, as I said, that the um, auditor will be able to answer that. But I am concerned because there's, there's just not enough money to come forward with 100 or $1.1 million to address issues in a parking lot. So that's off the table. We will do something to address the issue of uh, lack of visitors' parking.
1: So you've notified the Chair of the Board of City Housing, Hamilton, yes. about this. What was their response? Did they know that this had happened? He was
2: surprised as well. It was, it was Chad, Chad Collins. He was very surprised and very supportive of me looking into it and wanted to know what happened.
1: How can you not no, know? But, how can you not know this is going on,
0: if well, you're the chair I, of the board?
2: Necess- I don't know. I don't know. But I don't think that they are personally involved in all of the projects that take place. Right. Um, so, and most people thought that the work was, was actually going forward. It wasn't until we started asking more and more and more and more questions that we realized that a the project hadn't really begun, but the money had been spent one hundred and fifteen thousand in consulting fees. And that raises another red flag for me, and I'm seeing it more and more at the city of Hamilton, and that is the amount of red tape to get anything done. We have to have studies and archaeological studies and traffic studies, and it goes on and on and on. Our own money for our own projects. You know, is, is there just too much bureaucratic red tape to get anything done in the city of Hamilton? I would suggest we need to really look at that as well.
1: So when do you hope to get a response on this issue regarding the parking
2: lot? As soon as possible. I know that the auditor is anxious to get started if he gets approval and I'm sure he'll be working diligently and quickly to find out what happened.
1: Donna Skelly, City Councilor for Ward 7, talking about a parking lot that was initially supposed to be in the area of 350 hit a skyrocketed to 1.1 million. Uh, This, of course, uh, city housing of Hamilton and Mohawk Gardens. Donna, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated.
2: Nice to talk to you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show,
1: weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, does Donald Trump truly need the media? I think that uh, uh, over this last U.S. election, uh, U.S. media and probably media in general has taken a huge blow because they got it wrong. We got it wrong. Uh, Not only was Hillary really not leading, there really wasn't that much support for her. And at the end of the day, everybody misjudged the disenfranchised in America. This wasn't about voting for a racist Donald. This was about voting for anybody but the status quo. And they're willing to put in the person they did And he's everything that everyone says he is, because even that, in their view, was better than the status quo. That's the message I believe that Premier Kathleen Wynne is finally getting. That's why she's being outspoken on the energy file at this point and has ignored us for years. Uh, So what happened was Donald Trump, uh, of course, he's evading the media, uh, not standing and answering questions and their critiques and what is going on. Uh, Instead, he just goes to YouTube and does a two or three minute video about what his policy is going to be. He doesn't do it in front of any of the traditional media. And then, of course, what happens is the traditional media just goes and views it and then cuts out what they want. So I can certainly see Everyone's point that, you know, he's not being accountable. He's not letting people ask him questions. Totally agree with that. But he's also sending a very, very strong message to the traditional media. And that is, I don't need you. Because I can get my message out, unedited, to my audience without any interference from the traditional media. As opposed to... Doing an interview in front of them, and then them picking and choosing what segments they're going to air. At least this way, and if I was a politician, no matter what my political stripe is, I'd be doing this. I'd be making them chase me. And say, here's my position, here's my social media platform, here's what I'm going to do. Now, you come to me and ask questions about it. But first, I want to get my message out, unedited, unbiased, from my lips, And not after the bias of the media and whatever they decide to show on their programs so i see both sides of this uh whether you agree with one or the other what is i I, what i don't think you can ignore here is the media landscape is changing and it will never be the same again uh, to talk more about all of this, Michael Trocott is with us, Professor Emeritus of Communication Studies and Political Science, Authority on Communication, University of Michigan, and is with us now. Hello, Michael. How are you today?
3: Pretty good. Good to be with you again, Scott.
1: Thank you for taking the time. We greatly appreciate this. You know, there's a part of this that scares me, and then there's another part that says, yeah, you go. Um, this The media landscape is drastically changing when it comes to elections, isn't it?
3: Yes, it certainly is. <coughs> and... Uh, it's actually the case we can't just use the term in quotes the media anymore because we have to distinguish between the news media in the traditional sense and social media
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, and uh, self-generated media like uh, you know, Twitter and uh, videos posted online.
1: Um yeah, you're absolutely right. It seems that everybody is now the media. everybody now has the ability to to, to put their message forth unchallenged. Um, I can certainly see everybody being upset that he hasn't stood there and allowed people to question what it is that he's doing. On the other hand, can you blame him for using YouTube to get his message out unbiased?
3: Well, I can I wouldn't use the word, Blame, but I think I could fault him uh, for the tendencies that he's demonstrating. And of course, he's not the president yet. Maybe some of this will change by January 20th. Um, because uh, control over the message is very important to him. Donald Trump is a creature of, by, and for the media, especially in the entertainment sense. But the news media have a responsibility uh to hold elected officials accountable and one of the ways they do that is through uh you know routine interactions in the form of press conferences or press availabilities so uh, even though he would prefer not to answer questions from the press and there are a lot of traditional news organizations that he doesn't like very well uh part of his role is to do this periodically. This is a tension that has existed for some time between whoever is the president and the White House press corps.
1: Uh, We've seen it here in Canada, where our last prime minister wouldn't do scrums anymore, uh, and a lot different from the one that is uh, in now. Um, You know, I certainly agree that yes, he has to be held accountable. He has to stand up in front of the press and answer questions. But when you think about it, why would somebody else, if you were trying to put a one minute or two minute message together, why would you stand up in front of the traditional media and try to get that across only to have them edit it, edit their version of it and put it on their show? Wouldn't it make more sense to get the leader's message in its entirety and then have the media dissect it? What's wrong with him? And it could be any politician. What's wrong with somebody getting their message out unedited? Before the questions start, rather, well, than, rather than standing in front of the traditional media and then letting them carve it up and present whatever they want. This way, the president gets whatever he wanted to say out, and he also gets out, or the media gets out what they want, because they just watch the video and cut out what they want anyway.
3: Well, I, I would say there's, a, there's a, a number of points here. First of all, the president uh, does have the option to do this. It started with Ronald Reagan in these Saturday morning radio addresses. Mm-hmm. And the Obama White House has produced uh, brief videos on particular topics. But that, that is not the same as the president occasionally answering questions of the White House press corps.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I, I would also point out that the president has other audiences than people who might support him in an election or who would be willing to support a particular policy initiative. He has uh, leaders of foreign countries. Uh, He has people who are engaged in in treaties and agreements with the United States who are also interested in what he says, but also how he answers questions about things that affect them. There should be, uh, obviously, a menu of opportunities for the president to communicate. And the question uh, that we don't know about yet is, for example, who will be his press secretary and routinely interact with the uh, press corps in Washington, mm-hmm. and what kind of uh, interactions will he agree to have routinely with the press. And I think that um, there were two two incidents last week in the last few days in the United States, uh, uh, a meeting he had with representatives and anchors of uh, television news
0: mm-hmm.
3: outlets, which he held... Uh, Off the record, they agreed to this, Mm -hmm. and then he lectured them, and Mm -hmm. they couldn't report on it. And then a kind of a minor kerpluffle with the New York Times about whether he would be on or off the record. And uh, the New York Times, uh, I think through some public uh, explanation and advocacy, got him to agree that he had had, uh, said that he would have both a public and private session, which they held but they got something to report on out of their interaction with him.
1: Uh, so your point here?
3: Well, um, he, you know, Donald Trump demonstrated on multiple occasions during the course of the campaign and in the transition that he is interested in promoting his businesses, whether or not you know he continues mm-hmm. to have a substantial interest in them through a series of contrived news events like the one he held on the opening day of his uh, the soft opening of his new hotel
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh and he generates attention if not news by the event with the television network people showing up at the uh trump tower but they didn't there was no news generated out of his meeting at the hotel, and there was no news because of an embargo generated uh, from his meeting with the TV executives and anchors. So um, he's trying to have his cake and eat it, too. He, he, he's, he's trying to gin up excitement, if not anxiety, about mm. what he's doing without giving away much by way of detail or actually anything newsworthy, but he's just grabbing uh, attention and coverage in the news hole or in the uh, uh, available time slots on television.
1: I would certainly agree with that 100%. I mean, there there is no better manipulator of the media than he is. Um, But that being said, once he... And of course, he has to answer questions from the media. He has to be able to, uh, you know, he has to be held account uh, to account for what he does. But what I'm specifically talking about is that releasing of the message or the two or three minute video. Um, You know, at the end of the day, he's just taking his message and it could be anybody straight to the public. Is that so wrong as long as he makes himself available to To be critiqued on it, to, to, to be held account
3: uh, for it? Well, uh, based upon, you know, our j- just the limited experience that we've had so far, uh, we know that there are some things that he says that he doesn't follow through on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and secondly, there are some important pieces of policy coming up, like his interest in uh, fixing Obamacare, where the devil is in the details. Mm-hmm. And somebody eventually is going to have to talk about uh, exactly what it is that he wants done to the Affordable Care Act. So he he can't do little brief snippets uh, perpetually about policy directions without giving any information about the details.
1: Uh, again, all questions that need to be addressed. And of course, that's exactly what What he needs to do. That being said, does he have to do it through traditional means? I mean, how has this changed the media landscape? Because I think the public is a very, has a very cautious view of traditional media after the election. Uh, I don't think they thought they were being told the truth, uh, you know, at at certain times. And it certainly was obvious, you know, rightly or wrongly, that they favored a certain candidate. And then everybody was totally stunned when, of course, the opposite happened. Now that he is taking control of it into his own hands, is that not the future? I mean, can you not see future politicians doing this rather than, than letting the media paint a picture of them that they, they believe isn't true? Well, I mean, and again, from this, I'm saying that, you know, at least the first message out is his and then the media can do with it whatever they want as opposed to the other way around where the message comes out and then the media manipulates it before the public hears it.
3: Sure. So I, I, I think you asked me two things, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you two different answers. Um, the problem with the coverage of the election is uh, not that the polls suggested that Hillary Clinton would win by an average of about three or a little more than three percentage points, because it looks like she's going to win the popular vote by almost two percentage points, maybe one point eight, when all the votes are counted, it's that they didn't report carefully about the difference between the popular vote and the electoral college outcome. Mm-hmm. So I think in the end, the po- the popular vote is going to look like the estimates from the polls, but problems with the polls in certain critical states uh, didn't indicate the reasonable prospect that he would catch up and beat her. By even 10 or 20,000 votes in a few key states, and therefore get all of their electoral votes. So I think there was a breakdown in the coverage, but uh, I think it was either lack of attention or confusion among journalists about the difference between the popular vote and the Electoral College vote. But let's turn to the second part of the question you asked me about. Uh, whether or not he gets to present messages and then answer questions Um, he wants an unfiltered uh... way to talk to the public
0: Mm -hmm.
3: and we have to be concerned about the possibility that he presents the most optimistic uh... version of the policies that he wants to pursue ignoring completely uh, any uh, uh, potential pitfalls and public policy is an area in which the devil is in the details mm-hmm. and the suggestion during the campaign is that he's often not very interested in the details yeah. of public policy and that's an important function I think that uh, uh, journalists uh, pursue now the problem with social media journalists Uh, is that they don't get to interact with the president or the spokesperson of the president or the agency personnel that he's going to appoint because they're not present in Washington. And it's virtually impossible for them to, you know, direct questions to these people about the details. That's that's a, uh, a task that falls to either pool reporters or to the White House press corps. And so... I I, I would reiterate that the issue here is trying to find an appropriate balance between control of the message in the White House, which, of course, every president is interested in, and some accountability on uh, the details, which falls primarily to uh, news organizations and the journalists that represent them.
1: Uh, One last question. We don't have much time left. Where does this leave the traditional media moving forward when it comes to election coverage?
3: Well, I think there's a lot of soul-searching going on right now um, about how well they did and and whether they need to change anything. Uh, You know, there's a tremendous uh, economic pressure on news organizations in the United States as there is around the world. And many of the best news organizations in the country have been going through a, a series of planned buyouts. And typically the buyouts involve paying... Uh, bonuses uh, to their most senior people, and we were, we have been left with uh, a relatively junior political reporting corps. And um, I think the 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 pressure is on news organizations to figure out how they're going to cover the White House now, hmm. and who who's going to do the staffing, and what the balance of uh, seniority versus fresh faces will be in order to deal with this new media environment. But um, we need uh, trained journalists who have experience in covering politics. And uh, Americans, as news consumers, won't get an, a, a, an appropriate version of the story unless there are high-quality journalists.
1: Doing the coverage. Well said. Michael Trogod has been with us, Professor Emeritus of Co- Communication Studies and Political Science, Authority on Communications, University of Michigan. Michael, fascinating discussion. Thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
4: Good to chat, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson
1: Show, weekdays from noon to three on AM 900 CHML. Interesting column in the National Post today. Uh, Barbara Kay, a Marxist revolution by the alt left millennials? Uh, we've certainly heard of the alt-right. There's an alt-left, too. And how responsible are they for Hillary's defeat? It seems we're a land of extremes now. You're either extreme left or you're extreme right. Well, the majority of us are right in the center. Who's looking after us? Uh, Out of the column, it says, we heard a great deal about the lesser of two evils. Voters on the respectable right who regarded Trump with such distaste, they voted for Hillary. Republicans voting for Hillary because they knew Trump was wrong. What we haven't heard so much about are those on the alt-left, the diehard Bernie Sanderites, who actually preferred to see someone loose, or or, sorry, let me rephrase that, who actually preferred to see a loose cannon like Trump win, rather than vote for the established symbolic Hillary. They are not fringe or few. They are legion. And if they all had voted for Hillary, she might have won. But they didn't. And they are overwhelmingly young millennials. To talk more about all of this, uh, Michael Diamond is with us, principal at Upstream uh, Strategy Group in Toronto. He's a conservative political pundit. He is with us now. Hello, Michael. How are you today?
4: Uh, Great. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for taking the time to join us. Did millennials hang Hillary out to dry?
4: You know, there's a few ways to consider how and if they did. So one is their voter their voter participation was not at any level uh, that was going to be required for a candidate who was banking on support for millennials to uh, to make a difference. And the other thing that you can look at is what the primary race did to Hillary, because you know Americans have often said you know one run to the uh, to the left or the right to win your perspectives uh, primary and then move back to the center for the general election. But because of the Sanders insurgent. Uh, Hillary Clinton had to take such unauthentic uh, positions in that nomination race that she just blew her credibility with the center and was never going to gain traction with the group that was pushing her to the fringe to be anti-trade to be anti-Wall Street when she was taking big money for speeches to Wall Street it was never going to be believable so she made friends with no one because of that
1: So uh, you can't ride the fine line how would she have balanced all of this?
4: Hillary Clinton was just the probably worst possible politician to try and balance that she she would have been much better off to have stayed authentic and be a pro-trade Democrat, a moderate Democrat in the mold of her husband, instead of be pushed to the left, like Bernie Sanders, which the left never trusted. You know, it's been a long time. As the Clinton have been around for so long. There wasn't any sort of ambiguity about what she actually believes, except that she wanted to win. And and so to those more idealistic young voters, the people who might be making up the alt left, it was never worth the uh, compromise of voting for Hillary Clinton.
1: Uh, Are there or or is there uh, an alt-left movement within the Democratic Party who are just as disenfranchised as the alt-right?
4: Well, you know, I'd say it's actually probably a worse, uh, worse uh, situation for the Democrats in this regard because at least the Republicans not only won but they uh, held control of all three. And it looks like Donald Trump, you know, if uh, he's talking about appointing Mitt Romney to uh, to cabinet, for example, and today he you has know, Nikki Haley as ambassador to the United Nations, isn't going to be as adversarial to the various factions of the party. So under Trump's leadership and Paul Ryan in the House, they may be able to keep the tent together. But the Democrats, where they really have no levers of power, breaking the party up. And really rebelling against the party controls isn't a high risk proposition because, as Donald Trump would ask you, what the hell do you have to lose? So you're going to see now that the, uh, the those on the left, if it's uh, uh, Keith Ellison who might become DNC chair, a fairly left-wing congressman, or Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, they're going to be emboldened to really rock the boat, and that's going to be uh, that's going to be uh, troubling. And with the young voters going to be playing a more prominent role in trying to uh, recast the Democratic Party, we could see that they become, uh, you know, before the day of the election. I believe I was on your program and we talked about how do the Republicans pick up the pieces after Donald Trump loses, and one of the scenarios was. Is there a new a left wing Republican Party that emerges, and a centrist Republican? Sorry, a right wing and a centrist Republican Party. Now, I think that's a question the Democrats are going to have to ask themselves: How much can they move the party before it breaks?
1: Why have we become a a, a land of you know whether it's here or there a, a land of extremes? I mean, you know, I, I don't ever remember hearing about the alt left or the alt right. Where's the center? Isn't that where most of the population resides?
4: It's certainly where most of the population reside, but if you look at you know if you look at what motivates people to vote versus what is popular and what is good, those are very different things. So it's often easy to attract support as Donald Trump saw. You know, not most Republic most Republicans didn't think that building a wall that Mexico was gonna somehow pay for was the top policy priority. But he knew that those who did would only vote of that one issue. So he was able to right. motivate and turn their voters on that. So so these small fringe groups uh, that are very easy to attract their vote have huge power at the ballot box.
1: Uh, will millennials, are millennials so disenfranchised that it's only a matter of time before our politics takes a much more socialist angle?
4: You know, I don't think so, because I think, you know, uh, as Winston Churchill said, if you don't, if you uh, aren't a liberal in your 20s, you have no heart, and if you're not a conservative in your uh, 30s and 40s, you have no brains. And I think (laughs) if if you look at various immigrant groups, various uh, age groups... uh, you know, it's the same people who went and voted for Donald Trump and voted for George W. Bush were also the college students who were burning braziers and protesting the Vietnam War in the 70s and, you know, would never have voted for Richard Nixon. So as we age and change, so do the reasons we would vote.
1: So you think this is all cyclical?
4: Absolutely, and, and it's not the first time we've seen behavior like this. It's the first time we've seen behavior of this where it's not that... You have to be a mainstream journalist, uh, mainstream media journalist to communicate because now anyone who has a cell phone or a broadband connection can really tell the world what they think. So, so they, the voice is definitely amplified, but it's uh, not a new phenomenon.
1: Uh, post-world War two even in the 80s you know bringing down the wall it seemed that we were all for freedom why are we now so uh, extreme why why where where's that where's that that those values gone from the from the 40s through the 80s
4: well part of that is I think that's a great question or a great uh, great thing to talk about is we've really lost touch with uh, the threat of of uh, that sort of oppression that was going to uh, remove freedom from us. We've lost touch with the world being at total war. You know, there's definitely huge security threats, and we're sort of in a period of prolonged uh, war, but it's not a total war anymore. So we don't have those same values that these are things that are very sacred that we need to protect. Uh,
1: So is the only way for millennials to survive is to become more socialist?
4: Uh, The only way for millennials to survive, I think, is to you know, stop being fickle. Uh, you know, go find a job, make some money, pay taxes, and then you know, start voting for Republicans.
1: <laughs> you know, some will say that's a little unfair, Michael. <laughs> you know, I. Uh, you go ahead. I'm just I gonna. I'm just gonna. St- millennial. I'm just gonna stand over here while the eggs go your way. <laughs> <laughs>
4: You know, they'd be they'd be hitting one of their own. I was uh, you know a child of uh, the '80s, but yeah. mid '80s, so uh, you know, and I, I can say, you know I can say things like that, I suppose. But uh, you know, absolutely. I mean, we're going to see some of these voters who are you know were hardcore Sandersites are going to remain on the left wing of the Democratic Party, but I think a lot of them are going to moderate and become either more mainstream members of the Democratic Party, and a lot of them will eventually. Uh, end up voting Republican like their parents, and it's, uh, it's shocks and appalls them that their dad would, you know, drive a uh, drive a Cadillac and vote for a Republican, but one day they're going to do. All
1: right, I want to get your take on uh, Donald Trump and his handling of the media. A lot of people are upset. Uh, I certainly do believe that he has to stand up in front of uh, a, a, a reporter, a scrum, and, and answer questions. But Obviously, he's, he's not happy with the traditional media. Uh, and, you know, we certainly saw the bias uh, in the last U.S. election. So now he has decided he is just going to release his information via YouTube, do a couple of minute speeches, which, of course, uh, all the traditional media just record anyway and then cut up the way they would have normally done and then show on television. As long as he stands up or anyone stands up and asks questions, can we see this this method changing? I mean, I just think we're going to see more of it because this way a politician gets his full message out Unedited, and then the traditional
4: media can take it and do what they want with it. Absolutely, and, you know, uh, Rob Ford did that. You know, I worked on his campaign, and we. Um this was well before, you know, the media uh, scrutiny was very intense on Rob Ford, as it was into his naralty. But during, during the campaign in 2010, there were times where we thought, you know, either he would have trouble delivering the message if he was being pestered by media, to scrum, or that they would, they would deviate from what we were trying to focus on. So we'd throw it up on YouTube, and we'd tell the world, like, oh, we're doing this to connect with the young voters We were actually doing it so we could control the narrative right. uh, completely. So it, uh, I think uh, that said, on Donald Trump, you know, his 60 Minutes interview, he was really good and leslie straw really seemed to enjoy it and they they played well together so i think he's a lot better at doing these traditional media interviews than either he's fearful of or that he it works out better than i think he thinks well um it was funny yesterday with you know the on again off again uh, meeting he had with the failing new york times when he finally met with them it sounds like by all accounts it was quite um quite pleasant
0: Hmm.
1: How will this change traditional media's coverage of election because they don't control the message anymore?
4: Well, there's, there's going to be a few things. One, what traditional media needs to do and uh, to be relevant in the next election is invest in actually having journalists travel and meet Americans. And uh, you know, there's a, there's a big country in between New York City and. Uh, and Los Angeles and uh, San Francisco that was completely ignored. So that's that's important to actually know who you're communicating to. As for the. Um how to deal with politicians. What will be really interesting to see is will others into the midterm elections and then the Democratic primaries next time, assuming Donald Trump's to run for election copy him and use Twitter as you know, be their own communications director on their campaign by using Twitter. And if others can replicate his success, it's going to be very hard to expect politicians to do the sit downs and the one on ones and and uh, provide press releases for journalists.
1: Um, getting back to the millennial question, since you unveiled that you were one, uh, how do millennials feel about the public perception about them? And and the reason I say this is because I think they're getting an unfair shake simply because they're being bitched at by their parents. Because it, like everybody that's complaining about the millennials are the people that raised
4: them you know there's a few things on that and you know yeah i'm a millennial i'm also a business owner who uh... Has managed to you know piece things together and i think our my parents generation uh... looks at the opportunities we have and don't understand that and, and you know and I, I never really talk about being a millennial so it's awkward for me don't understand that things have changed you know the the structure of jobs the structure of employment has changed and what they had the opportunities for are not what exists currently And that doesn't mean that people aren't trying or that things aren't as good. It just means it's different. And, you know, one day, hopefully, my friends and uh, our children's generation will have similar angst about, you know, the kids aren't all right and it's all going to work
0: out.
1: Uh, Interesting tweet came in. Uh, It says, all this divisiveness is a figment of the lamestream media's imagination. The media creates this false narrative. Is this the media creating this false narrative because they're uh, not as important as they thought they once were?
4: Uh, No, you know, it's absolutely, uh, that. I think, is uh, not not fair at all. There's been so much, uh, uh, you know, we've just seen an uptick in just aggressiveness. And Twitter is part of the problem. I don't think the media is part of the problem, but, you you know, it's... um, people are emboldened right now and they have been because of this anonymous version of communication. So you get these keyboard warriors and you get people showing up for protests this is not an invention of the media this is something that's occurring every day right now
1: but is it the media's uh, is the media panning this because they've lost control
4: Uh, i think the media might be giving fuel to it by covering it but uh, that's 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 the job is to you Go, where, go fish where the fish are, cover where the story is. And this is certainly an important thing, as uh, we just saw you know, a ruling class thrown out because of uh, a peasant uprising.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, obviously, we chatted before the election. You're a conservative pundit. You were, were uh, vocal about your uh, thoughts on Trump and, and weren't happy the way he was handling things. What are your thoughts post-election?
4: So, you know, it's funny because uh, yesterday when uh, Kellyanne Conway came out and confirmed that the president wasn't going to uh, push the Justice Department to bring charges against crooked Hillary, uh, you know, as someone who grew up in the 90s, I've seen the Clintons' crimes, you know, my entire life, and desperately want them to be held accountable, and all I could think was... He's doing the right thing. And then Nikki Haley, who was very, very aggressive in her opposition to him being appointed ambassador today, Donald Trump being the bigger man, looking to Lincoln, building a team of rivals. And the first few weeks of the Trump administration have shocked me in that he has, for the most part, done what someone should do. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, this wall might not actually happen. And there's so much he's walking back from, and he'll probably govern more from the center. And what will be really interesting to see is his hardcore supporters, were they there because of his personality, or were they there because of his policy? And I think for a lot of them, it was his personality.
1: Uh, As you mentioned, no jail for for Hillary. Some some of his uh, right-wing supporters are upset about this. Will it get to the point where, no, there's not going to be a wall either? No, there's not going to be that. No, there's not going to be any of that. Do you think we'll get to a all of a sudden people will have an epiphany saying none of this crap's going to happen?
4: I think, you know, at some point it's going to be like, gosh, why why don't we just make Jeb Bush uh, president? Because yeah. we're not going to have a wall. We're not going to repeal and replace and uproot and branch Obamacare. You know, Mexico's not going to pay for anything. We're not going to deport absolutely everyone. Um you know, maybe we should have elected Jeb Bush. But uh, if it's about policy, he's going to be in trouble for re If It's about how he talks and, you know, that he's willing to say things that, you know, maybe your grandfather is willing to say, but that your parents certainly wouldn't. Uh, and that's why people liked him. He'll probably be okay because he's not going to change his personality.
1: Uh, one last question. Uh, scrapping the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Your thoughts on that?
4: You know, it's... Uh, it's, it's uh, Interesting because he really hasn't talked about NAFTA too much, and so this is something since the Americans hadn't opted in completely. Uh, he's able to do as he'll be able to do as president. NAFTA is going to be trickier for her. Uh, it's uh, you know my only thought is uh, good news for Canadian auto part manufacturers.
1: All right, Michael Diamond is with us, principal of Upstream Strategy Group in Toronto and a conservative political pundit. Michael, thanks for the time. As always, much appreciated. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on
0: AM 900
1: CHML.